I don't know what I was going through, but I was struggling. I was struggling with my Christianity. I was struggling, where are you, God? I was struggling, like, not understanding where I was at spiritually, struggling with uh, life, job, everything, the struggle. And I, I did something I would never, hardly would ever do, but I was so angry with where I was. It was like a Wednesday night meeting, and, uh, you know, Ernest was teaching, and there was at one point there was this law, and I said, Ernest, I am so struggling. What do I do? Where's God? What's happening? And he said, just keep being consistent. Just keep coming to church. Just keep praying. Just keep reading your Bible. And I, I went away kind of angry, but you know, it worked. You know, if we ask Jesus Christ something that begins in our life, that is life transforming, but it's so confusing because we live in a natural world and we have all these things coming at us and all these situations and circumstances, and we say, God, where are you? About uh, probably since the middle of uh, July, I'm kind of changing up my message so you don't have to put it up there yet. This, that'll be message two if I get to it. About being religious. How many have been a Christian here a while? Be honest, be a Christian. Oh, you're the perfect, you're the perfect audience for what I feel like God has put on my heart for the last four or five weeks. About being religious. Oh God, break us out of religion. The definition from Webster is an organized system of beliefs and rituals centering on a supernatural being or, or beings. And I think the way God made us, we learn quickly. We have minds that take on a knowledge and we, we think about things logically. and We approach the Godhead logically. But we have a heart, we have a spirit that are so much deeper and so much more immense than our logical minds. And because we're quick learners, and I can think of times where people were tra- training me something or teaching me something in my life, and I quickly, I was like hanging on them. But once I learned, I started separating. Why? Because I knew it. I understood how to do it. And it's the same thing religion begins to set in us as Christians. And in one way, we're frustrated. And in one way, we want to show Daddy, I can do this. I know your word. I, I, have, this, I have all these things in order that tells me who you are and what you're going to do. True religion is betting one's life that there is a God. In John 3, 1 and 2, Jesus came to break us out of the prison of religion. In John 3, 1 through 2, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. No one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. What was different about this Pharisee? And a Pharisee was a religious leader, and he was a religious leader of the Jews. The Pharisees separated themselves from everyone. They had this holier-than-thou concept of themselves. They believed that they are the only ones that had the true interpretation of scriptures. They were proud and superior to others. They were arrogant. They focused on the exterior activities of people in obedience to the law and the rituals and human laws that the priests started initiating to have this form of godliness by doing certain things. They avoided, the Pharisees avoided dealing with their heart attitudes and motives. But something about Nicodemus, 
He must have been done with religion. He must have been done with everything he'd seen from Sabbath to Sabbath, and he wanted God. And he saw Jesus. He saw Jesus with eyes open and tired of where he was. And there was this expectation that somehow he wanted to know who Jesus was. And yet he had a little bit of formality that he had to go to Jesus by night because what if everyone got, the word got out that he, a Pharisee, a religious Jewish leader, was seen with Jesus, who the Pharisees were scared of. And you know what? Sometimes when God begins to move, we're afraid. We're afraid because he's changing the box. He's doing things differently. All of us, when we, from the moment we accept Christ, begin to set up expectations and a belief system what God will and won't do. God is a God of his word. He is true. He is a good God. He is a healer. He is a restorer. But how many times have we gone through being sick, being broken, being hurt, being abandoned, being rejected, and we wonder, where are you, God? And we see your word, but it contrasts. It's in direct opposite of what we're experiencing in our life. Those are the times we've got to hold on. But I believe we're in a time, especially this church, in this church history, that we've got to break out of our religiousness. We have to forget everything that has happened to us that has set up a preconceived idea of what Jesus will do and won't do. And all the disappointments that come along with prayers answered, people who leave, uh, brokenness, things that are unexpected, contrariness uh, to the Word of God and the promises that we read in the Word. And we have to say, I give it all back to you. I don't know anything, but here I am. Oh God, I don't want to be like a Pharisee. I want to forget everything I know about you. And from this moment on, I want to live in newness. Didn't Jesus say, behold, I make all things new? Didn't he say his mercies are new every morning? Didn't didn't it say that he is faithful to us? It's something that we have to begin to stir ourselves. We begin to shake ourselves. I feel like I'm in a place I don't know what God is doing. I feel like everything that I believed and trusted in that I haven't seen, I'm now putting all on hold. I'm saying, God, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. And even in my disappointments and even the things I'm struggling with right now, somehow there's a deeper root of faith. There's a deeper confidence that God is with me. It used to be you'd go through a struggle, and then, man, you go three or four months, everything's great. Now it's struggle, more struggles, more opposition. Struggles compounding on struggles. Difficulties compounding on difficulties. Problems compounding on problems. But somehow, if you start going in that direction, if God starts working that in you, there's a deeper confidence in who you know and who's working in you. And even though you're not that happy, even though you're a little discouraged, you know that God is working at such a deeper level. God, let's pray for ourselves today. Oh God, we just come to you in our religiousness. Lord, we want to give to you everything that we believe that's now in conflict with our logic. And we're asking God that you would change us. We want to experience you. We want to begin to break out of a religious box. And we don't know how to do it, but we simply say, God, help us. God, change and renew our thinking. God, show up just like you did to Nicodemus. Show up around us that we can see that you want to do and you want to be to us bigger and greater than any of our religious experience. Oh God, help us to stir an expectation in ourselves that you are a living God and you're doing new things now in our lives. Assumptions. A thing that is accepted as true or as certain to happen without proof. Many assumptions were accepted simply by hearing without checking if it's true. How many times have we we had opinions and things formed in us, but it came by someone else? We totally accepted it. Sometimes we're too lazy to press through 
I think this is a time God is asking to press through every resistance to get a hold of him and to, to get a wisdom. Or if you're in a struggle, to ask for the wisdom of God and keep asking, to dare to set aside a few, time, a few moments every day to press into God and get serious. He's comfortable with your anger. You don't have to swear at him, but say, oh, God, I'm so angry. I don't know what you're doing, but I must have an answer. There is something that happens when you and me get desperate for God. When we are not just status quo and staying in this line, well, that's, nothing's happening. This is what your word says. This is what I believe about you. This is what I think you said to me prophetically. And just to just go on in passivity. No, we can't live like that anymore. We have to have an ongoing living relationship with God. We have to ask, seek, knock. We have to bombard the barriers. God is asking us to not be warriors. I'm more of a, temp, uh, a passive, behind-the-scenes male person. I found in following God, he changes our very life and temperament. He makes us warriors. He makes us be able to get up and fight, fight for what is right. And then again, it doesn't be about our, it's not about ourselves. Like the old Bruce, the, okay, just go to work, go to church, do your tithe, la, 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 la. That's great. No, it's like fighting for other people, fighting for other people's freedom, seeing them in their circumstances and saying, God, it defies your word. It defies the activity of your Holy Spirit and things must change. Things must change. And even if nothing changes, that we all die in faith, believing that God is going to do something, standing against the lies of the enemy and the darkness and the opposition and everything that hammers us when we leave the building and we start our Monday through Friday routine. Opinions. An opinion is a judgment, a viewpoint, or a statement that is not conclusive. Oh, how easy it is in America to form, you know, a to form opinions. I came in, I hate the, the political debates. I came in and heard the last couple minutes of a debate, and I had a judgment about the commentator. I had to ask for forgiveness because Jerry clued me in about what was going on on the other part. I had to ask forgiveness for judgment, how easy it is. And you know, as Christians, because of our society and internet and everything that's, that's being poured out, it's so quickly easy for us to form an opinion. Opinions stand against us being free from religion free from being judgmental and thinking like we know it all. What has been our religious experience? How has it formed us? I think, I'm, I'm hoping, I was praying, I was praying today that everyone would start bringing their Bibles. I know you can read it on your phone, but start bringing your Bible because you can mark in it and bring a tablet, bring a journal, bring something. And that I believe, I'm praying that God is going to so be speaking to you that you are writing down nuggets and you're going to feed on them all week. You come here, you must come here to experience Jesus. You must come here to experience a life-changing relationship with God. You must come here to be infilled with the Holy Spirit, empowered for your week. Because God wants to make you ministers. God wants you to touch the broken world that you're involved with, people that only you can touch. But it's almost like you've got to shake yourself. This is a time in our history. Our world, our country is falling apart. It takes the Christians. God is calling the Christians to man up, to woman up. You know, women are, are encouraged to rise in the workplace and everything else. We need godly women to rise up. Be examples in the home. Be examples on the job. Be examples with their families. God is calling young people to man up and woman up and young girl up in the schools where they're at because kids are hearing things that are dark and they're hopeless and it's not going to give them any hope about their future. Does our religious opinion and beliefs match our experience with the Word of God in our relationship with Him? 
oh God, I want to give you back the word and everything I've held on, and I want to give it back and say, you, you make it fit into my life the way you want to make it fit. And I'm learning something in my life right now, that the things I believe and I'm hoping and leaning on, I'm letting God adjust it, whether that's for me or not. You know, sometimes we, we claim all these promises, but then we find out this reality in our heart with what, what God wants to be for us and what he doesn't want. What my neighbor may be getting from God may not be what he wants me to have. But that's unique to who we are. And if we don't have what we think we ought to have what's from somebody, what somebody else has, it's okay because if we really pull back and understand the uniqueness of our life with God and who he made us to be, we are going to be so content in what we have and what we don't have because God is our source and our supply and God is the factor in our life that makes the difference. The religious Jews persecuted Jesus. Jesus said to them, and he was talking about the powers, powerless religion that they had. This is John 5, 38 through 40. Jesus said to the religious Jews, but you do not have God's word abiding in you because whom he sent, him you do not believe. You search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life and these are the very ones which testify of me. But you are not are willing to come to me that you might have life. There's an invitation for all of us. We can learn by these, from these religious Pharisees and Jews that we can press past everything that's confusing, and we can press into God, and we can press into Jesus and have life. We need life, but we need to understand what life is from God's perspective and what that means, Him working in our life and what He's doing. And yes, you're going to have a lot of confusing days, but He tells us, don't lean on your understanding. You have to, every day you have to get up and push your understanding away, push your emotions to the back burner and say, oh, Holy Spirit, feed me, fill me. You need to energize your spirit by your relationship with God so you rise in that prophetic sense where your spirit knows beyond what your feelings are telling you, beyond what your problems are telling you, beyond what people are telling you, beyond, beyond the political correctness that's all around us to be who God wants you to be. Because there might be a moment when you stand up and say something that's not politically correct, but it's like Jesus and it penetrates the heart of the broken or it penetrates the spiritual darkness and it pushes it back. And you leave someone thinking about something more important than their opinion and what's politically correct. Oswald Chambers wrote this. The vital thing is to get on the trail of a personal relationship to God and then use the facts of experience and revelation to bring us to a consideration of things which satisfies our nature. And until it's satisfied, don't say it is. Like those things that hang you up, keep pressing in. Till you feel you have the wisdom and understanding from God. He wrote this also. I will stick to it, to that God is a God of love and justice. And I look forward to him, or I look forward to the time when I shall see it manifestly. That's holding on and pressing in to seeing what God is saying and to experiencing what God has for you in the freshness of an experience with God and not just religion. We have no business to, to say piously, oh, I leave it with God. God will have us discern what he is doing. But it takes time because we are so slow to obey. And only as we obey do we perceive morally and spiritually. Oh my, how fresh, huh? He wrote this also. Theology is tested by history and logic. Religion must be tested by our experience. Oh God, I want a fresh experience. I am praying all the time. I am praying for you more than I'm praying for myself. Oh God, let the people at Hillside have a fresh experience with you. 
If you have a fresh experience with God, I won't even have to speak on Sunday. The, the open mic will be so packed. There'll be such interactive body. Who knows? Healings are going to break out. God's going to do what he wants to do because it takes a body. I'm only here to stir you. I'm only here to point you to Jesus and say, get your eyes on Jesus. Get your eyes on Jesus. Get your heart on Jesus. No one can face the problems and trials that you go through but you. People can empathize with you. People can pray for you. But only you are going to have the grace to go through what you're going through. But we can strengthen you and encourage you to stand up and be the person God is calling you to be. And in that place, you're going to be satisfied because you're learning to draw on who Jesus is to you. You're going to accept your weaknesses and you're going to see the strengths that come through the Holy Spirit in your life because God is God and you're allowing him to be God. We have to all get to the place where we let go. And sometimes it's easier for us older people. We've already tried our own way, and we know it doesn't lead. So it's easier and easier for us to say, okay, not my will, yours be done. You want that? You can have it. It's not bringing me any satisfaction anyway. And we begin to cut ourselves free from the little idols and things that distract us from what we really need. We get what we want, and after we got it, we don't want it anymore. Why? Because it's not filling. Our deep need is for God. Our deep hunger is to know God. Our deep hunger is to be used for God's will. We have all these things offered to us in this world to bring us temporary satisfaction, pleasure, uh, fulfillment in a career or a job. But they don't bring lasting fulfillment. Only knowing God, only pressing in, only being frustrated with where you are, only being angry at times for where you are because you're not getting enough from God. It seems like also like he's just giving drops. He's just giving drops and you're hungry for more. It's all he does. He's trying to incite us and draw us into this love relationship where we're in hot pursuit of him. Oh God, I've been cold. You know, just last, you know, five or six weeks. God, break off my religiousness. Man, there's nobody more religious in this church than me. I've been, I've been a Christian for over 50 years. It happened, it started me when I was eight because I had such a, he has such a work to do in me. But oh, I am so frustrated with being religious. I am so frustrated with not seeing I have been contending and asking for a move of God. It was told prophetically for us last year, we need to contend for the river of God's presence because the river of God's presence is going to bring such a dramatic change. It's going to bring miracles. It's going to be transformation. It's going to bring hope to people who have no hope. People who are in long-time things, like the man who had the pool for 40 years, all of a sudden, things are going to break and those things are going to change. That's only my, this is only my new message. Watch where you are inclined to be invincibly ignorant, that's pig-headed or closed-minded, and you will find your point of view causes you to break down in the most vital thing. An accepted view of God has caused many a man to fail at the critical moment. It has kept him from being the kind of man he ought to be, and only when he abandons his view of God for God himself does he become the right kind of man. Oh God, help us to abandon our image of you what we were taught of you that hasn't been experienced. God, help us let go of everything that we think you're going to do or not do, that we might be transformed and changed. Oh God, I am missing out on life. If not, I don't see you in reality of what you're doing in my life today. And I hope this message is so stirring you that you're going to be uncomfortable and you're going to do a little praying today, even as you're driving, even as you're going out to lunch or whatever, that you're saying, God, I got to be I've got to be free. I've got to be more uncomfortable with where I'm at. I have to have an expectation of where you want me to be. I want to see you today. I want to see you in this moment. I can't live the yesterday. I can't live the past. And I can't even live in the future. I can't even live an hour from now. But right now in this moment, what do you want to say to me? God, what do you want to say to me? What do you want to do in my life? 
I am just passing off time. You look at the, the grains of sand, ever look at those little hourglass, how quickly our life is passing, how quickly time is going. I'm thinking, man, Sundays come like every day now. It's Sunday. I have to prepare. I have to be seeking God, reading the Word. What do you want? Oh, I start, it starts on Saturday. I'm agonizing. I'm travailing because I'm an intercessor. I'm interceding for you. I'm interceding for the move of God in your life. I'm interceding that the Holy Spirit will arrest you. I'm interceding that you're going to get up on Sunday morning and you're going to have a hunger. I'm interceding that you're going to break yourself out of anything that's trying to distract you from coming and hearing from God. And I'm, I'm praying that God will have you come and you'll so not even care, maybe sometimes when you come in, even about who's around or your friends, that you just want to come in and connect with God first. Then you could do your high fives and your embraces and everything afterwards. Paul, talk about religiousness. Acts 22.3. I am indeed a Jew, born in Tarsus of Sicilia, but brought up in the city at the feet of Gabriel, taught according to the strictness of our father's law, and I was zealous towards God. Talk about a zealousness. The man who sold his whole life to be a Pharisee, a religious leader. Verse 23 says, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. Talk about the generational experience of religion, dead religion. He's out persecuting Christians. He's standing there where Stephen is martyred. Religion steeped upon him. Acts 23, 6. Now it happened as I journeyed and came near Damascus about noon. Suddenly a light from heaven shone around about me. Oh, Lord, come upon us suddenly, every one of us. It's not our fault, our religiousness. It's not our fault where we're at, but, oh, God, we cry. We're hungry for you. We need a change. You know every one of us today, every one who's carrying responsibilities and burdens and brokenness and pain, you know our life experience. You know we hope to experience you, but you know we wake up every day and things seem to be the same. Oh, God, we pray that you would break in suddenly and change us just like you did for Paul. Acts 23, 7. I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus. Wherever you're stuck, wherever you're angry with God, wherever you're disappointed, wherever you've been affected or molested or wounded, God wants to meet you there because he wants to change what has formed you, what has left you with opinions and hurts and grief and loss, and he wants to move you into a resurrection experience, into a new life. That's what Jesus came to do, to set us free from what the world says we should do, what the world says our image should be. Okay, message two. Prayer, our only resource. What's the verse we've been using? Philippians 4, 6. In everything, by prayer. In every circumstance and in everything, by prayer. So what does that mean? We should pray. You're on your work. Someone cut you off. Oh, Jesus, save that person. Oh, help them in their, help them in their driving skills. Oh, Lord, help them to slow down. I'm late for work. Oh, God, thank you that you're going to get me there on time. There's been an accident. The traffic has been, oh, Lord, help me. I started off a little late. Jesus, help me. My kids are going to school. Jesus, keep them safe. God, I'm not feeling good today. Jesus, help me. You know, and everything by prayer, everything that comes to your mind, every distraction, every problem, pray it off. 
pray it off. Ask Jesus, what, you, what do you want to do in this situation? God, I need a raise. God, I need more money. God, I need better health. God, I need a better relationship with my spouse. God, I need to be able to uh, take care of my kids better. I'm a single parent. Lord, help me. Give me wisdom. I'm now carrying the burden of my whole household. God, give me strength. God will supernaturally empower you to overcome. God, give me a good work ethic. God, give me a good attitude at work. God, help me to be a giver. Help me as I give to receive. God, strengthen me in every way. Fill me with your wisdom. Lord, you gave me a good head and I'm logical. God, let me use my head for the best. God, help me to love the people that it's hard to love. Help me to forgive those I don't want to forgive who have hurt me. God, uproot and pull out the deep wounds that I've experienced in my life and change me in everything by prayer. And then if you're feeling good, you're supposed to give thanks and praise. I want to talk now. I'm going to be reading 2 Kings 4, 1 through 36. And it's very familiar. It's Elisha, the man who had a double anointing, double power anointing from Elijah. He was a man full of gifts, full of the Holy Spirit. I say he was full of religious experience too. 2 Kings 4, 1 through 36. Now it happened one day that Elijah went to Shunan, where there was a notable woman, and she pursued, she persuaded him to eat some food. So it was that often as he passed by, he would turn in there and eat some food. And she said to her husband, Look now, I know that this is a holy man of God who passes by us regularly. Please let us make a small upper room on the, on the wall and let us put a bed for him there and a table and a chair and a lampstand. So it will be, whenever he comes to us, he can turn in there. I don't know if the woman knew the scripture where a pro, uh, receive a prophet and get a prophet's reward. She was taking care of the man of God. And in those days, the prophet was God's representative on the earth. It wasn't like they were directly just having this relationship with God like we have because Jesus paid for our sins. It was like the, the man of God was the person they looked to, especially the prophet, especially Elisha. And it happened one day that he came there, and he turned into the upper room, and he laid down. Then he said to Gehazi, his servant, Call the Shunammite woman. When he called her, she stood by him, and he said to her, and she said to him, Say now, and he said to him, that's the servant Gehazi, Say now to her, Look, you have been concerned for us with all this care. What can I do for you? Do you want me to speak on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? Listen to her answer. She answered, I dwell among my own people. You know what? She was content. She wasn't trying to move up the social ladder. Elijah, he had connections. So Elijah said, what then is to be done for her? Gehazi answered, actually, she has no son, and her husband's an old man. He said, call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the doorway, and then he said, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. Elisha's using the prophetic gift. And you know what the prophetic gift is talked about in the New Testament? That there's impartation. When you get a prophetic word, when God speaks to you, our hands are laid on you, there's not only a prophetic word that goes in your heart, there's impartation, the ability for that word to come to pass in our lives. So this woman had a prophetic word that she was going to have a son, but she also had a supernatural impartation that whatever's going to go on between her and her her husband is going to be supernaturally empowered by God so that she could conceive. Here's what she says. And she said, No, my Lord, of God, man of God, do not lie to your, man, to your maidservant. The, the rabbinical, the rabbis had this train of thought about 
the conversation that's going on when she said, don't lie to me. She was actually saying, do not mock me by giving me a son that shall soon be removed by death, but let me have one that shall survive me. Wow, isn't that powerful? So she's already setting up in advance. The scenario is going to work out. God knows the son's going to die. But there's this interaction going on that this pressure is, gonna, is really coming on Elisha. So the woman conceived and bore a son when the appointed time had come, of which Elisha had told her. And the child grew. Now it happened one day that he went out with his father to the reapers, and he said to, my father, to his father, My head, my head. So he said to his servant, Carry him to his mother. And when he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon, and then he died. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God. She shut the door upon him and went out. Then she called to her husband and said, Please send me one of the young men and one of the donkeys that I may run to the man of God. I want you to see that she begins a silence. She begins a thing, a protective mode where she's protecting any knowledge about a dead son. She's setting up a spiritual atmosphere of faith that she might press through to the man of God and have this reversal happen of the promise that she had that she was going to have a son. And there was an expectation that this son would outlive her. Talk about some heavy faith that this lady had. But watch what God does even on and to Elisha. She believed that Elisha, who had obtained this gift from God with her, could obtain his restoration to life. So he said, the husband, why are you going to the prophet today? Is it, neither the new, is it neither the new moon nor the Sabbath? Listen to her. It would almost seem like she's lying. The Shunammite woman's faith was not in her negative reality, nor would she yield her problem to those who could not change them. She said to her husband, It is well. I believe she was talking to faith and she wasn't lying to him. I believe she understood he wasn't at that level of faith that she was at, but she was heading to a connection with God. Then she saddled a donkey and said to her servant, Drive and go forward. Do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. It shows also her determination to get to God. Just like Jairus, remember? Remember Jairus, her daughter, his daughter was dying. He's a ruler of the Jews and he goes straight to Jesus. There was an intention. There was a deliberateness to get a hold of God. And so she departed and went to the man of God at Mount Carmel. So it was when the man, Elijah, when the man or Elijah of God saw her afar off, that he said to his servant Gehazi, look, the Shunammite woman, please run now to meet her and say to her, it, is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with the child? God is not wanting us to look to ourselves. God is wanting us to look to him in every single thing, in everything by prayer. Prayer is our moving from ourself, our dependence to him, putting him first. Only the Lord knows what is really going on in our situations and in our life. That's a thought we have to keep holding on to. Only God knows really what's going on. He is full of the wisdom of our life and our life circumstances and our life situation. The Shunammite answered, It is well. Wow. She's even presenting this. Now when she came to the man of God at the hill, she caught him in by the feet. 
But Gehazi came near to push her away. But the man of God said, Let her alone, for her soul is in deep distress, and the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. Okay, we're talking about a prophet who has a double portion anointing. We're talking a prophet who operated in hearing from God and speaking into people's lives so things changed. And it's interesting, you might think that, I think that Elisha was, um, was leading on his track record of the anointing and operating in the anointing. And I think God was trying to do something greater, and it's a great example for us today about what God was trying to get to. He did not know what God was doing, and so it forced him really to be more dependent on God than he had ever been. So she said, did I ask a son of my Lord? Did I not say, do not deceive me? She is in his face. This child is supposed to outlive me. What are you doing? I told you, don't even start this if something is going to go wrong. I love it. It's believed that she knew Elijah. It is believed that she knew that Elijah had raised that widow's son and then provided uh, the oil and the meal. Or had a, did that first. Again, he had a double portion. He raised more people than Elijah. What's going on? It should be no big thing for him. It's his gift. It's his anointing. Again, it gets us past knowing and understanding our, even our giftedness in the body of Christ. The spiritual gifts that God gives us. That we cannot even depend on, upon the gifts, but we have to keep depending on the gift giver. Our dependency is not on our ability to do anything, but our ability to be in connection with the flow of God, us and God. And prayer is that biggest link that allows the gifts to continually be filled in us, allows us to be in such a dependence with God that we're not too uh, just casual and acquainted with what we can do because God is in us. It keeps us very dependent on God. Religion, the staff, symbol of Elijah's authority, symbol of the double portion of God's power and anointing. Then Elisha said to Gehazi, Get yourself ready and take my staff in your hand and be on your way. If you meet anyone, do not greet him. And if anyone greets you, do not answer him, but lay my staff on the face of the child. Interesting, he's saying also to Gehazi, Do not get distracted. You're on a mission. You know, sometimes we are going to go through things, and I want to address this because we're human and we have different tendencies. And like our society, Facebook, all, all that's going on, people gossip, people speak into other people's lives, speak, people speak about things before they even consider God. People have lost friendships because of things that have been said that they didn't agree with because opinions were different. I believe God is really calling the church not to be gossipers, not to be talebearers. There's a tendency in some of us, we want to share all the juicy news. And it's wrong because what it does, it can set up an unbelief about someone's situation in their life. It's like we really ask, have to ask the Holy Spirit, God, put a guard on my lips that I don't say anything I'm not supposed to say. I don't betray someone's confidence by saying something unless I go to them first or, or unless they work that out. This is what's happening here. Keep your mouth shut, Gehazi. You go just do that. Don't let anyone stop you. He's also saying, too, Stay close. Well, this next section, stay close to God's leaders. And the mother of the child said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. Again, her source, the guy who opened his mouth and prophesied on her and she had the child, uh uh-uh. The problem's in your lap, dude. I don't care what you do with that servant. 
I don't care with his staff or whatever. I'm in your face. And that's that determination we have to have, that determination before God, that persistence before God. I'm not going to anyone else. I'm going to you. I am desperate. And that's the thing about us. We're in America. We take things, we leave things. If, if it doesn't go our way, oh, I guess that's the way it is. No, I think God is asking us to stir ourselves. God is asking us to be more just desperate. You know, Jack talked about that a little bit when he was here in, in July, about being desperate for God, being desperate for him to come into a situation. Even if the situation doesn't change, my desperateness connects me with God in the moment and what's going on, and I can be at peace even if things are not changing the way I want to change them. Why? Because I have such a confidence in my relationship with God. I'm relying on him, that he sees the whole picture, and he's working to something that, that I can't quite see the answer to yet. When Elijah came, Oh, okay, so he put the staff on his face and child. Okay, and the mother of the child said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So he arose and followed her. Now Gehazi went on ahead of them and he laid the staff on the face of the child, but there was neither voice nor hearing. Therefore, he went back to meet Elisha and he told him saying, the child has not awakened. What do we do when religion, what's been believed, does not work? Do we just give up? I think a lot of times we just give up. Hopefully, this story is awakening you not to give up. When Elijah came to that house, there was the child lying dead on his bed. He went in, therefore, shut the door behind the the two of them and prayed to the Lord. I think that's the whole thing. He wasn't relying on his mantle. He he couldn't rely on the, the staff. He couldn't rely on all the miracles that he had done up to that time. But a desperation came over Elisha, and he began to pray. That's the simple message today. In everything by prayer, what are you facing? What is defying change? What are you not having peace about? God wants to stir us to pray and to press through. Uh, Our key verse today is James 5.13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let them pray. Are you suffering? Are you afflicted by something? Is it physical? Is it emotional? Is it mental? Is it financial? Is it in your housing situation? Is it in your relationships? Is it in people from your past? What is agitating you? What is irritating you? Is anyone among you afflicted, ill-treated, suffering evil? He should pray. Problems, pain, grief make the way for prayer for us. It brings us to that place where we allow the desperation of our circumstances not to just become something we push to the back burner, but something that motivates us to get a hold of God. In uh, James five sixteen through 18, James, the brother of Jesus, wrote us, The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced fruit. He was just like us. He was subject to different feelings and emotions. Um, He was subject to his environment. He was subject to the problems. He was subject to all kinds of things, wicked kings, armies, but he prayed. So we're in the same category. Sometimes we disqualify our, ourselves to other Bible characters, and Jesus has qualified us. Through the blood of Jesus, we are his righteousness. 
there is no sin against us. And so we can go boldly and we can ask big from God. We can be desperate because God cares. Jesus said this. This is our last scripture. Luke 18, 1. Also, Jesus told his disciples a parable to the effect that they always ought to pray and not turn coward, get faint-hearted, lose heart, or give up. Will you stand?